It's a real pleasure and honor for me to be here. This is uh, an amazing place. I remember when Ben and Greg headed off and, and began this ministry, and to see what it has become and is becoming is really inspiring. And um, I always feel a little intimidated when I come up here because I feel like I'm not cool enough to be on the stage compared to all the other people up here, um, except for Ben. I can go, all right, he's kind of... <laughs> But Ben's always done a good job of surrounding himself with cool people, and he's looking for it to rub off a little, and I think maybe it has some. But the, w the one part of that story that he told, which, which still makes me laugh, that when, when we talked the first time, because he thought Dean was my title, he had to have called me 30 times, Dean Nicholas, Dean Nicholas, Dean. I'm thinking, this guy's weird. Like... Like, I'll just go by a first name. Is the, but then he finally asked. There's there this moment. I, I, I just have to ask, is your name Dean or is that your title? And then kind of broke down, and from then on, everything's been good. So <laughs> we've, uh, we've had a lot of fun over the years and probably too much. And uh, we, we used to teach similar classes. And some years we teach the same class. So we had the juniors divided up. And um, it, it's, it's always kind of awe-inspiring thing when you find out the chaplain at your school is telling lies about you and your other classes. And so I would have kids coming to me asking me all kinds of questions. Is it really true that you, where'd you hear that? Um, from Mr. Hodges, or Ben usually would say. Uh, so, so it became this kind of one-upmanship. So he'd tell them things about me that weren't true usually, and then I'd tell them things about him. And so if you are a former student in here and still think that I have my first girlfriend's name tattooed on my body, that is not, <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> Except I won't go into how we kind of morph that story one time, but anyway. <laughs> but we, anyway, we, we've, it's been a pleasure always working with Ben and Greg, and whether it was at school or whether it was remodeling my kitchen, uh, which could be a whole different series um, about how people need Jesus. Um, it, it was, uh, yeah, and that's when I got to meet Greg, so. Anyway, what I want to talk to you about for these next couple of weeks is, is really something that if, if I think back on my life and the way God has worked to help me start to become the person I think God wants me to be, um, this topic is of the utmost importance. As I think of who I am becoming, what my family looks like, how I want my children to be, uh, this topic is central to that. And I thought it was just so fitting that as, as the band was finishing up that they sang about surrendering. Because what I'm gonna talk about in the next couple of weeks is a kind of surrendering that goes against everything we believe in many ways as a people and a culture. And so what I want us to talk about and think about over these next couple weeks is about time and about God's time. If you just bow your heads with me, I just want to say a quick prayer as we begin. God, I pray that as we begin to think and talk and reflect on your word and our culture and the clash of those things, that you would begin to work in each of us in new and unique ways. Because, God, no matter where we're at now, we look out and we see a far-off horizon and know that's the place you're calling us toward. And so, God, let's be open to hear you and to think about you and what our futures could look like in you. 
We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, think about your day or your week or your last month. Our culture has gotten to a point that I see nothing but a breaking point because the level of busyness, the hecticness, the schedules we try to keep are breaking us down. Now, we don't see that, and we don't get that most of the time because our culture has so brainwashed us to what's expected of us that instead of seeing the negative, we flipped it and have made it a great value. We have come to a point in our culture where we value other people by what they do and how busy they are. We value ourselves by how busy and hectic our lives are. When we ask each other how we're doing, we, we want to tell all the things we are doing. I'm really busy. I got this going on. I've been doing this. I've been gone here. I've been working on this. If, if somebody says, hey, what have you been up to? And you said, not a whole lot. We'd look at them like, wow, what's the matter with them? What, what are they doing? They're wasting time. They're wasting time. We expect ourselves and those around us to be busy. We expect ourselves to be doing, to be active, to be moving, to be building, to be creating. And here's the crux of this, and here's what makes this so difficult. There's not a single thing I just said that's bad. And in many ways, we read scripture, we are called to do all those things. We are called to do, we are called to act, we are called to build, we are called to create, we are called to move forward. But not all the time. Not all the time. I thought I was busy, and then I started having kids. And then you went, what did I do with all my time before? And it's for another time, but my wife and I had kind of an interesting family-building story where we went from zero to three in 15 months. And in that process, all of a sudden, it's like this whole other level of things to do. Time just keeps filling up. And then what became really interesting in the midst of all of that is that as our kids get older, I start to talk to people who have older kids. My kids are two tens and, an, and a nine. They say, you think it's bad now? Just wait. Just wait. And so it's starting to get to that point where we are becoming chauffeurs, and you're probably basically like your child's manager who manages their schedule, right? This is... This is the new American job of parenting. It's really about being the chauffeur and the production manager for your children and their schedules. And I try not to fall into that trap, and I think we're too busy, and then I hear other people. It's like they're never here. They're never around because their children's schedules drive their world, drives their lives. Let me just be honest with you, and I'll, I'll, this will be beginning of confession. I don't know if you do all that here, but um, I, I'm the principal of a high school. Uh, it's not just the American business place that's driving this in the culture. Schools are just as much a part of this as anywhere else. Uh, if you know anything about psychology, human development, you read about how much sleep people are supposed to get. There aren't many teenagers in America getting the sleep that our bodies require. You know, I used to think of sleep deprivation as what happened when you got to college and beyond. 
and in college it was usually because you were an idiot and you weren't doing the things you were supposed to and you were taking all your time doing something else. But to keep up, a lot of high school kids hardly sleep. And there's a cost to that. There's a really sad cost to that. I mean, it looks like kind of snarky attitude, which many of us say, well, that's just teenagers. Well, it's teenagers because those are the same symptoms you see in sleep deprivation. And we expect to see that in teenagers, so we don't see it as a problem when they start to act that way. But usually, it's a sign something's going on. I, I hate to tell you this, but students have emotional and psychological breakdowns oftentimes. I was watching a film called The Race to Nowhere. Most of the people have heard of the movie um, Searching, or the Looking for Superman, which is about the dilemma in public schools. Race to Nowhere is the other side. It's the high-end prep school or very rigorous public school in the talking about what happens to students who get caught up in this kind of a culture, the kind of drive, the kind of push. And they interview some people from cities of some very key big-name academies. And the people at the psych wards, at the floors of the hospitals for mental health issues say, we can tell you when exam time is coming because our beds start filling up. And we push. We push because that's what our culture does. That's what it is to be strong. That's what it is to get ahead. That's what it is to be a good American. That's what it is to be a good follower of Jesus. Let me ask you about your own family. When's the last time you sat down for a family dinner? Does that happen at all anymore for you? I'm surprised when I talk to students. I say, do you ever eat as a family? And they're kind of like, oh, yeah, we did that at Thanksgiving. I was like, ooh, great. There's all kinds of statistics, and these aren't Christians or you know, different family ministries. These are just sociologists talking about all of those scary things that people worry about their kids getting into from drugs to sex to all these other kinds of things. The numbers go way down simply by having... It's like three family meals a week. It's like that time together. I say, well, that's impossible. You don't know our schedule. I was talking to a friend the other day who I was kind of giving a hard time about this. And their comment was, you know what? I have a friend. They don't even eat dinner. They keep little nutritious snacks in the car, and they just drive from place to place, and they dole out food. They don't have time to have a meal. We don't have time to eat. We don't have time to spend with the people that we love. When's the last time you had an empty day that you could just spend and be? One of the questions, you know, and I'm always bothered by this too, technology makes it worse, right? Technology was the great thing because it's going to keep us connected and social media and everything else. Uh, I sit in church sometimes, and I won't make you raise your hand, but how many of you have checked on an email, sent a text already just sitting here because it's like, oh, something came in. I got to check. What's going on? I can't be disconnected. I need to stay as part of this system. Time. Time is the greatest thing that God has given us. It is the thing that affects us maybe more than anything else, but we take it for granted. Our world has gone wrong, terribly, terribly wrong. And so I want to take a look at Scripture and begin to see how does this fit into God's scheme, God's way of looking at the world? Because every time I end up in a position where I look at my life, my situation, I go, this is really broken. I always ask myself, okay, go back and look at Scripture. What would God say about this? 
God couldn't have meant it to be like this. And I think this one, more than anything else, God did not intend it to be like this. I want to read to you from the book of Genesis. Men didn't tell you I'm an Old Testament guy at my roots. I just played principal on TV. But I'm an Old Testament guy, and I always find myself going back to the Old Testament uh, first and foremost. And we go all the way back to Genesis, the first chapter. And it's interesting because when we talk about passages and what, what they mean and what they're about, we often get it all wrong. And I want us to look at this for a second. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through chapter 2, verse 3. Then God said, this is the sixth day, by the way, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he'd made and indeed it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from the work he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. Okay, that's a passage we hear a lot. You're thinking, okay, great, we know that one. Move on. I, I want you to get something that's fundamental it's foundational, and I mean that in the truest sense of the word. In the very first chapter of Scripture, as God begins to lay out for us what everything means, he creates everything in the created order, says it's good. He then creates humans who are his image, this royal representative who is to do the work of God in the world both male and female. He gives them a laundry list to some degree of what they need to be doing. They're to be fruitful and they're to multiply and they're to subdue the earth, keep chaos at bay, have dominion over all the stuff. They are the great managers of God's world. No easy task. But right after that, it's the seventh day and God rests. The thing we miss is that Sabbath is not an afterthought. It is built into the created order. It isn't one of those stories in the Bible about things get going and then it goes in a crappy direction and God does a check and like, ooh, we got to change this up. Because that happens a few times in Scripture. doesn't go the way it should and let's change it. Let's do something different. And that happens a number of times in Genesis. Sabbath is not one of those things. It is foundational. God makes time, and he makes it with a day of rest. And at that point, we don't even hear about the people resting. It's God resting. The all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe takes a break, rests, restores. 
See, here's the first thing you need to get about this. Time is not ours. Time is not ours. It is the lie of our culture that we possess and own time. We are a great capitalist, consumerist culture. A lot of great things about that. I'm not here to knock that. This isn't to go political or any kind of weird thing about you get enough of those phone calls and commercials on TV right now without me adding to it. But think about the language we have learned to use about time in our culture. They're all financial. We spend time. We save time. We budget time. We manage our time. As if time was our commodity to use at will. How will you spend your time? Same we talk about, you know, using your money wisely. Are you using your time wisely? Time is not ours. That's an illusion. It's a trap we've fallen into. I'm going to talk more about her next week, but Lauren Winner, who's written a number of great books, one being Girl Meets God and one Mudhouse Sabbath, as an author, she says, I know it's really clunky language. She said, but I would rather we use the language abide in time. Because by talking about abiding in time, we realize time is not ours. Time is God's. And we have the opportunity to live in God's time. God creates the universe with a rhythm, with a pattern. And we, as God's children, have the opportunity to be a part of that. Will we do that? As it talks about this day, this Sabbath, one of the things it tells us is that God, translation we read, hallowed it or sanctified it or made it holy. Sabbath is holy. It is time that's set apart. That's what holy really means. So when you go to the temples in the ancient world, the holy things were things set apart that couldn't be touched by the normal, profane, regular kinds of things in a day or by normal, regular, ordinary people. God sets apart a day and God makes it holy. So the question is, how do we treat it? Do we treat it as something set apart? Do we treat it as a thing that's holy, that's not like any other day, any other time? You see, most of us right now, this kind of grates against us. Because again, we're saying about surrendering all, but we don't have enough time as all, at all. How do I surrender more of this? And so we usually go to the place that Old Testament scholars kind of get their hair goes up on the back of their necks. And we say, well, look, that's Old Testament stuff. We don't do the Old Testament anymore. Jesus got us out of that. And when I press people on that, I'm like, really? Like nothing in the Old Testament? So just throw the whole thing away? They usually say, well, you know, except for the Ten Commandments. And I'm like, well, just wait. This is right in the middle of the Ten Commandments. We don't say, well, you know, adultery, murder, and lying, you know, Old Testament stuff, let it go. Have at it. But when it comes to Sabbath, it's like we forget it's in there. We get two Ten Commandments in the Bible. We get one in Exodus, one in Deuteronomy, and both of us remind us, remember the Sabbath, or keep the Sabbath, keep it holy. Keep it separate. Keep it set apart. This is not our time. It's God's time. 
And so then you should go, yeah, but yeah, look at Jesus. Jesus shows us Sabbath is not important. And I want to just take a short moment to mention Jesus and Sabbath. Because we get a couple great stories about Jesus and Sabbath. But remember, Jesus says he doesn't come to abolish the law, but he comes to perfect it. And he says, not one bit of this law will pass away. But we get a couple great stories about Jesus and Sabbath, which, again, we'll develop more over time. But Jesus deals with Sabbath in an interesting way, and he gets attacked by his adversaries who are looking to trap him. So they say, look, you're not supposed to work on Sabbath. That's what the law tells us. And Jesus does some things. He feeds people. You know, his disciples get food. And he heals on the Sabbath. They try to trap him. You worked. You worked. You did work on the Sabbath. And Jesus turns that on its head. He says, hey, we weren't, how, how does this work? Is, is, are we really slaves to Sabbath? Or is the sla- Sabbath made for us? There's a rule that goes throughout all Jewish law that says any of the mitzvot, any of the laws, commandments, for the sake of life, you can always break the rule because life is of utmost importance. And Jesus, over and over in his ministry, makes the point to his disciples. Look, the law is important, but you can't miss the bigger picture. Jesus continues to heal on the Sabbath. And when his enemies try to trap him, he says, look, of course that's what I did. And so we'll talk more about that. No one wants to make an idol of Sabbath either. But Jesus, over and over in his ministry, remember, this is God as a human being. Over and over, Jesus leaves his disciples, leaves the crowds, and goes off on his own into the quiet. Jesus keeps the principle of Sabbath throughout his ministry. It's fundamental to how Jesus does ministry. And so let's not lose focus that because Jesus wrangles with the Pharisees over what Sabbath means, that it means Jesus doesn't care about Sabbath. So the question will become, how will we live? How will we live? And next week, I want us to talk very specifically and practically about what this means and what it looks like. But I want to tell you a little bit about my own story as it relates to Sabbath. Because I still remember the day I was sitting in an English class at Wheaton College, Dr. Jacobs, African Lit, and something came up about a test. And he said, I don't give tests on Monday because the last thing I want to do is make you into Sabbath breakers. He said, I know most of you are going to just break it anyway, but I don't want to be a part of the problem. And the whole class was looking at him, what are you talking about? In this college, who's worried about Sabbath? We're not Amish. <laughs> so the next thing you know, he, he kind of breaks, breaks lecture, forgets things fall apart, and he begins to talk to us about Sabbath and say to you, many, to me, many of the things I just said to you. And he said, I challenge you. If you're serious about this following Jesus thing, I challenge you to take seriously keeping Sabbath. 
And it's interesting because we read Genesis 1, and people talk about Genesis 1 all the time. We can fight about Genesis 1 until cows come home. Nobody ever talks about that at the end of it. The punchline of the whole story is Sabbath, right? We're going to get in these big arguments about how long a day is, and we're going to spend millions of dollars to make a museum about it, but no one's making the Sabbath museum. So it's like, don't worry about that. That's for the Amish and the Jewish folks in Brooklyn. But the punchline, I know it sounds weird for you to think about Scripture having punchlines, but really, you take passages and there are main points it wants to hammer. People like me, Bible scholars, we love the other points, right? Okay, yeah, there's these big points, but let's look at the tangents. We love that stuff. But the regular person reading the Bible is supposed to get the punchlines. The punchline is the created order demands we live in Sabbath. And so here I was, a sophomore in college, that put me like 19, 20 years old, I'm convicted. Like, I think I'm a good little Jesus follower trying to keep the Bible. I'm going to be a Bible major. I never once thought about Sabbath other than it means you go to church on Sunday. And all of a sudden, I thought, okay, I'm going to take him at his word. And I made up my mind that year, that week, I would do, he said, and look, to you all, he says, what's work? He says, your students, your work is homework, it's schoolwork. Don't do it on Sabbath. He said, that's going to affect your schedule, but figure it out. And I said, I'm going to try this. Here's what it meant for me in a practical way. If anyone knows me, you know that I kind of live by the old adage. Anything, you know, anything that you could do today, you could put off till tomorrow. And so my homework always got done on Sundays. Also, he said, I can't do that anymore. So I began saying, okay, I was going to church on Sundays. Let me take the whole day. I'll go to church, but I won't even think about homework. I'll hang out with my friends. I'll take a nap. I'll rest. Well, you can't flunk out of school because it's really expensive. So I began saying, well, I guess that affects my Saturday. Maybe I got to get up early on Saturday. I don't know. You know, there's some younger folks here. If you're older and you can't remember college, getting up on Saturdays is not really the thing to do. It meant getting up sometimes really early on Monday morning. I cannot tell you, though, the level of peace I had that semester. You say, well, that makes no sense because you just made the rest of your six days crazier. I don't know how to explain it. Sundays brought me peace. And the weird thing about that, and here's for the pragmatic folks, I don't know how to explain this either. Somehow I had my best grades began at that point. I don't know what that means or how that works, and it's not magic. But for some reason, school went better for me. I kept that throughout college. When I got married, my wife and I talked about, okay, what does it look like to keep Sabbath? And we figured it out for ourselves. And then the kids came. I thought, okay, what does it mean to keep Sabbath? How do we make Sunday something that is totally different, set apart, other? It's hard, but it's been meaningful in our family. And let me just say one thing here, because your gut reaction might be, well, yeah, that's easy for you, because you're a Bible guy, and you work at a Christian institution, and you're not like other places. I say this with all due respect. Um... Working at a Christian institution, I don't know if it makes it better or makes it worse. Because the busier you are for Jesus, the better it is. 
and Sabbath gets forgotten. This year, we hit our biggest crux as a family about how to do Sabbath because I have two of my three little boys wanted to play football, and they wanted to play youth football at the Christian school. Well, that's great. But one of the issues was that the way it works because of schedules and fields and you got to play on the nice field, the only time you can play youth football is on Sundays. So now we had this dilemma as a family. Love for my kids to play a sport. Love for them to play with their buddies at CHCA. But all of a sudden, our Sundays became two different cars running kids to different start times on two different teams. And our Sundays just became a mess. So we had this dilemma as a family. Do you play football? Do you keep Sabbath? Or is there another way? For what it's worth, we made a little decision in our family this year that from September through the end of October, our Sabbaths begin at noon on Saturdays and run till noon on Sundays. And we said, you know what? We're not giving up Sabbath because God does something amongst us in that time. And when you work at a really busy Christian school, saying to them, hey, I hate to tell you this, but I can't do such and such on Saturday, because we keep Sabbath and you have youth football on Sundays isn't always the most popular thing to say. So I try not to, and I just figure out how to do it without them knowing why I'm not showing up on Saturdays. But the reason I tell you that is not that I'm so special, because you can talk to Ben and Greg, and they'll tell you really quickly I'm not. The fact of the matter is, no matter where you are or what you're doing, it's going to take hard choices. But following Jesus was never easy. It wasn't easy in the first century. It's only a good modern marketing scheme that we made people think it would be easier today. Following Jesus makes us stick out, makes us not fit culture. And that's what he calls us to do. I close with this. I got the pleasure of studying at a Jewish institution for graduate school. And in doing that, they would, even though it was a very liberal school, they would shut down from Friday afternoon. We didn't have school on Fridays till Saturday night. And when we did things on Saturday night, we would have Havdalah, which is a brief little ceremony or ritual to end Sabbath. Because we talked about Sabbath being holy. If you ask a Jew who knows their stuff, what is the holiest day of the year? It's not Yom Kippur. It's not Pesach or Passover. The holiest day of the year occurs every week. It's Shabbat. Judaism never even developed names for the days of the week in Hebrew. They just count off days till the next Sabbath. They attempt to hold on to the holiness that happens every week. Not because they decided it, but because that's the way God made it. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time to share with friends about my own journey. I pray, God, that as we think about what it means to follow you, we realize that we do not possess time, but it is a gift from you, and that you ask us to live in it with you. God, begin to work in our hearts as we think about what this could mean for us in our crazy, crazy lives. And God, prepare us as we begin to talk next week in very concrete, practical ways 
what it could look like if we remember that you created us to be in time, in Sabbath, with you and with those we love. That you build us into a family that works in your kingdom in a way that is renewed and refreshed and whole versus tired, broken, haggard, and weary. Refresh us, God. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, how, by show of hands, how many of you feel like that was a good word for you this morning? Yeah. Thank you. So a few of you sent in questions. There were only two I could not read aloud on a Sunday morning in a church. But one of the ones, uh, Dean, Dr. Dean, Dr. Dean Nicholas, that, uh, <laughs> Benny, you know who he is I now, do. right? I do know who he is. <laughs> this one came in in three or four different ways. And I think you may have hit on it a bit at the end when you kind of told your story. But maybe just clarify a little bit. Just around the idea that for the uh, Jewish people, Sabbath was a Saturday and now we do a Sunday. How important is the time? And again, you shared some of how you manage it, but just speak to that for just a minute. Originally, of course, Friday night to Saturday night was Sabbath. Because, and again, in Judaism, all days begin with the evening because Genesis 1, it was evening, it was morning, day one. And so it's Friday night through Saturday. Sunday was the shift that happened with the church for a number of reasons. But one, because that's when Jesus is raised from the dead. So that's the Lord's day. That's why we as Christians unless you're a Seventh-day Adventist and you're probably not here. That's why we do it on Sunday. But the point we will talk about a lot more next week is our world is so crazy in how, who works when and what we do. It's really about finding time, not so much the what time it is. And so that's why in our family we talk yeah. about, you know what, we need to find time. We'll make it Saturday. That was less convenient for us, but it's about finding time. Yeah. Good. Um, a, a couple around this question, and again, I think you hinted at it, maybe just a little more explanation. This is from a student, so I, I think you'll like this one. He says, uh, or she says, which is better to compromise, my work or my sleep? Where's the balance between not accomplishing everything I need to for school and making time to sleep, to sit down, and to eat? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the same can question. Can I say no one can repeat this outside of this building? Yeah, I do it. Fired? Um, <laughs> I think we used to say that a lot. <laughs> really? I still do. Yeah. Um, here's the thing. And we've had this in our own family already. You know, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, they're getting overworked. Like, oh my yeah. gosh, I, I can't sleep. I got to stay up late. And it's like going to school without your homework done, sometimes people make you feel guilty. Um, you have to make decisions for yourself. One of my colleagues once had this great line, and it was in a big board meeting where they said, look, here's this new program that we're creating. And this parent said, look, how, how can I do this? Because my kid's already doing too much, and now I've got to do that thing. And, I, and he said, look, my administrator hat says, you're the customer, and I give you whatever you want. And we do everything with excellence. And we'll put the best programs out there. So my psychologist hat says, it isn't good for you to do all these things. And here I'm going to poke a little bit. As parents... We have to be comfortable saying no to our kids. Our kids want to do everything. We fall into the trap sometimes using this language in our culture of advantaging our kid. And so we might not be competing with who has the bigger house, but it might be whose kid is more active and does more cool things so that they get the better SAT score in the end. Students have to push back against this and at some point realize enough is enough. And parents 
have to encourage their kids to do that sometimes. It, the, the power to say no is a strong power, right? Dr. Nick, do you feel like at the core of a lot of this stuff is a fear? If I don't engage, if I back off, if I, then I'm going to miss out. I don't know what I'm going to miss or my kids are going to miss. Do you, do you sense that there's fear? I do. In that movie I mentioned called Race to Nowhere, uh, one, of the, one of the talking heads through the whole movie about this is damaging your kid, it's, it's hurting them psychologically and emotionally, it's not getting them further academically, all this craziness. He said, I'm the talking head? And he said, my kids are at that high school age now, and I'm panicking like, just wait, but I gotta do this because maybe they won't get into college. It, it's, a, it's a system that the colleges push, the guidance counselors push, the schools push, people measure school by who went to what college, it becomes a game. But to say no is okay, but the pressure is such a threat in our culture because one, what will my kid miss out on? Which has a really interesting issue when you think about providence and how much does God get us where we need to be. Right. And the other really is, and this is the one that scares me even more, is the guilt part. Because many times we want to live up to expectations of parents or teachers, bosses. Mm. When we transfer that to Jesus, yeah. if I'm not busy enough, Jesus won't think I'm working hard. God might be disappointed. And that's the kind of thing that Sabbath can help break. That's good. All right, two more real quick ones. Uh, one, uh, and this one, again, two or three different ways. I'm just going to paraphrase. Uh, starting today, I know you're coming back next week and you're going to unpack a little bit. What would you suggest people start doing today? If there's one or two things, they're going to go home, this is on their mind. What, what would you say to people who are wondering, what do I do now? I'm busy all the time. I don't have a Sabbath. What would you do? Here's the first thing I do. This has become a big family issue is this and this and just let them be. Whoa. Um, not <laughs> Easy now. Scandal. Not answering emails, not responding to texts, not surfing the web. Um, the, the, you know, my wife and I have had a long conversation about this, even any night when I come home. You know, school's over, but I'm still going to be checking. They put it away. If you begin thinking about blocks of time that you spend with God and other people you are in relationship with, be it your family, be it just friends, if you're not at that point in your life, that you put away the distractions and it's about people. All right, last one. Uh, and maybe you don't have this off the top of your head. If not, you can bring it back next week. Someone asked what kind of books or maybe videos could, uh, could they find to read a little bit more about this? Um, or to maybe help their kids understand this a little bit better. Any thoughts on one, that? One that we'll talk about some next week, and, and it's a series of things in this book, but one is about Sabbath. Um, Lauren Winter writes a book, Mudhouse Sabbath. She came from Judaism, becomes a Christian, and asks the question, how do I use some of these Jewish rituals in my Christian faith walk? And her first chapter is about Sabbath, and we'll talk that specifically next week. Uh, another that I always come back to, and you all know it because we used it together, is... is Richard Foster's Celebration yeah. of Disciplines, and he talks about solitude and this idea of quieting ourselves yeah. and getting away from the hecticness of life. Those are two great places to start, but I'll bring more things to Okay, week. good. Hey, uh, you could pull out your Connect card now if you want to. We'll take some next bold steps together. You want to tell Dr. Nick more time how glad you are that he's here with us? Thank you. 
if you're our guest today, this is the moment where uh, the normal people at Four Corners, the regulars, not normal, we're not weird, but the regulars who attend here, and we invite you to participate with us. What we do is we try to take a step because we believe you come to church to be developed and to grow regularly. We, none of us ever achieve the full development that God has for us, so we want to take steps together. And so we do that around here by taking, we call them next bold steps. I usually give five or six options. You write those down by putting a check mark, and then you put those in the offering bucket when it comes by. So next step A for us, we believe that beginning a relationship with Jesus is a big deal, and that all of that you've heard today flows from his heart for us to give us life and life abundant. And so if you want to begin a relationship with him today, we'd love for you to do that. You can check the box, and we'll communicate with you in a non-threatening way about what that means and what that could look like in your life. It's pretty simple, though. You admit that you're not perfect. The Bible word for that is I'm a sinner, God. I, I know that I'm a sinner. <laughs> and then I want you to forgive me, and I want you to lead my life. I want you to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. If you'd like to do that, we'd like to help you in that journey and in that discovery. Check the box, and we'll be in communication with you. And the next step, B, is you'd like to get baptized. You'd like to go public with your faith and say, I'm with Jesus, and he's made a big difference in my life. If you want to do that, check the box, and we'll, we'll help you. And the next step, C. I believe that some of you honestly today can make a decision that for the next several weeks, as we do future family, that, that the future isn't written yet for you and yours. You can make a commitment to come and investigate the issues we're going to be talking about. Something may come up, of course, but you're going to make an intentional effort to set out this time on Sunday mornings to come and hear next week Dr. Nick and then the weeks that follow. Check the box and we'll shoot you a gentle reminder about that on Wednesday. And next step D, maybe you can't commit to the whole thing, but you want to come and hear the practical side of how to begin to work the rhythm of Sabbath into your life. Go ahead and check D, and again, we'll send you a gentle reminder about that. But the next step E, I wonder if, as Dr. Nick said, if we can do a little bit of confession. I have some serious reevaluating of my family priorities to do. I have some serious reevaluating of my family priorities to do. When you check those boxes and put them in the offering bucket as it comes by at the end of service, the staff and I, we pray about them at our staff prayer on Tuesdays. We ask God to come alongside you and to surround you with people that will encourage you on the way that God would have you go. Right now, we're going to worship. Would you stand with me, please? And let's lift our voice to our awesome God. Tell him how much we love him and how much he means to us.